we're live. Yay. Okay. Should I kick it off then? I think you're kicking us off this month. Yeah. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tipsy Ellipses, which is our monthly Facebook Live episode where our mothers like to show up. <laughs> and occasionally do here, Yeah, come on, mom. You're late. I know. What the heck? My mom probably has bridge tonight. So... <laughs> The first Tuesday of the month, we like to do a Facebook Live episode. It's a little looser and less structured than our typical episodes. As you can tell from the name, Tipsy Ellipses, there may be a little more cursing than usual. Probably will not take the time to bleep it out. And some of us have beverages. Some of us also, speaking for myself, so I did the half marathon last weekend. And you know how you go get the goodie bags? Yeah, you go the the day before the race and you go get this little packet and it has your number and your t-shirt and, you know, usually some free goodies or whatever. Mm-hmm. They've they've kind of lowered throughout the years. But yeah. I noticed because my daughter, who's 16, was running with me and I noticed that mine had a pack of a CBD gummies in oh it. Gosh. And I was like, I bet hers does mine. too. So <laughs> sure enough, I was like, boop. And I took her out. But I was like, and you know how I am. I am like, I watched too many after school specials in the 80s. And I am convinced I will be the one person who dies from a marijuana cigarette. (laughs) This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Oh, my God. No, I, it has worked. And so it really was like, well, if it came in the race pack, it has to be okay. Oh, that's so great. And so I was going to use that for tipsy ellipses. And then I did use that for tipsy ellipses. And then while getting ready for dinner, I was like, oh, God, it's the State of the Union tonight. And it's election results in Texas. And so I got a little, I got a a twofer going tonight. I got my free race pack CBD gummy with a little bit of Chardonnay to sploosh it off. So now that you're making running marathons a little, sound a little more interesting. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it comes with free drugs. <laughs> it does. It does not usually come with free drugs. Usually, it just comes. Yeah. Actually, the best thing it ever came with. It was the first race we did ten years ago when we moved here, and it came with a spy belt. Do you know what one of those is? Oh, that's a good freebie. I know that's practically worth the price of admission. Yeah. And we got it's, it is like a tiny little thin belt that yes. you can wear while you're running, but it expands. And so it'll hold like your phone and a little bit of money and maybe a goo or, you know, like whatever yes. you need. It looks tiny, but then it holds all this stuff. Oh, and, that's so interesting. Oh, it's my favorite. We'll have to put a picture of it up in the show notes. Yeah. And I don't even run anymore, but I kept my spy belt. Oh, it's amazing. And you would think, and they always say, don't add something new to your mix that you've never used before while you're training. But it was so handy that I was like, okay, day before the race, 10 years ago, I decided to put it on and wear it for the race and wore it for 13 miles. Didn't even feel it. It was so nice. This is a little ad for spy belt. But (laughs) I felt so bad because it was such a good goodie that they had a little uh, tent or a pop-up thing at the pickup this time. And you know, that thing has lasted forever and it still is great. But now they have one that's just a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided, and my daughter was having me carry all her crap and it was really testing the limits of the spy belt. So I decided to <laughs> give her my old one. And now I got the bigger one for the, the mommy mm-hmm. pack. So I upgraded myself. I decided I owed them after 10 years of using the same product that they have built to last. It will not die. So yeah, they're great. <laughs> I bought That's a new one. So funny. Yes. It's good for anybody. But anyway, yeah. that was a really long uh, tangent off of what Tipsy Lipsy is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he kind of explained what Tipsy Lipsies is. So you want to introduce yourself? Suzanne, and then I'll introduce oh, myself. Oh, sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. To be in our standard mom and dot, dot, dot podcast form, I will introduce myself as I am Suzanne Kearns. I am a mom and dot, dot, dot writer, LGBTQ and sex ed advocate. And tonight I am an Amplify Austin Eve prepper. It's the day before Amplify Austin starts, mm-hmm. which is a big two-day um, not today, but two days, as in <laughs> one, two, um, where all different nonprofits throughout the city, it's from 6 p.m. on March, it'll be a second, right? Through mm-hmm. 6 p.m. March 3rd, people just donate like crazy. Yeah. And it's just a central location for people to get really excited and learn about a bunch of really amazing nonprofits in the Austin area. And so since I'm on the board of Caring Hope and in charge of their newsletters, I have been working on 
that. And so, yeah, uh, since everybody's probably, a lot, most people are probably going to be listening to this after Amplify Austin has, you know, uh, done its course, but you can still donate to Caring Hope or any of the other amazing organizations that you learn about through Amplify Austin. And you do not have to live in Austin to donate. So definitely go <laughs> check out some of the amazing nonprofits doing cool stuff in our city. Awesome. And I am Missy Stevens, mom and dot, 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 writer, foster care advocate, and today a voter. And I somehow, even though I am a very involved voter, completely forgot that it was State of the Union. In my mind, the only important thing happening tonight was tipsy ellipsy. <laughs> Earlier, That's my mom it. was like, I don't know if I'm going to watch the State of the Union or watch y'all. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what? anyway little embarrassing but that's i don't think say. it starts until eight though right i think that's right i think yeah. that's right yeah so or else my husband would go. be up here like tapping his watch being like come on come on yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i may have to get my glass of wine for that so and our guest we're finally getting to our guest who's been so patient with us <laughs> is amy impelizari She's a mom and dot, 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 reformed corporate litigator, one of our favorite kinds of people to talk to, <laughs> yes. former startup exec, and an award-winning author of fiction and nonfiction. She has a new novel coming out in May of this year called In Her Defense. It's her sixth novel and her first in a new legal drama series. I'm going to bow to you wait. a little bit here. I cannot wait. Yeah. So Amy is a tall poppy writer, a past president of the Women's Fiction Writers Association, love to talk about that. And a 2018 writer in residence and a recipient of MSJD's Road Less Traveled Award, a faculty member in Drexel University's MFA in Creative Writing Program, and she is frequently invited to speak at legal conferences and writing workshops and very prestigious events like Tipsy Ellipses. Welcome. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Thank you I so continue much. to be shocked with the uh, caliber of people who agree to come talk. Yes. Shocked. <laughs> yes. Shocked it's an embarrassment time. of riches for sure. <laughs> I am honored. Thank you so much. And that was such a lovely introduction. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, we're so happy you could join us tonight. Thank you for taking the time. I know how busy you are. It's my pleasure. Thanks. We know a little bit of your story, but... We would love for you to tell them about your pivot from being yeah. a litigator to now being a full-time writer. Yeah. So I just woke up one day and decided, no. Uh, <laughs> I was meant to go. Super easy decision. So I, I was always going to be a lawyer. I was never going to be anything but a lawyer. Interesting. As, as, as a way to make a living. But I was always a writer. And, you know, I was always a writer as a little girl. I was always, I had, you know volumes and volumes of journals. I was always taking notes. I was always narrating the room when I walked in it. You know, I was just always a, a, a writer, but I was always going to be a lawyer. And at some point I decided that I couldn't do both. And I sort of do remember the exact moment that it happened. It was in college. I was, uh, I got a, what I thought was a bad grade on, um, on a paper, Lolita did me in. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, and, and I got like, I, I remember it as a C minus, that's probably even being generous. Um, and so I was like convinced that I couldn't write. And, and more than that, I was convinced that I couldn't go to law school, right? Cause I was still, I was taking creative writing classes and pre-law classes. And I, I thought this was all going to come together in the end. And I was convinced that I was on the wrong path and I couldn't write and that I wasn't going to be a lawyer and that I wasn't going to get to law school. And a friend of mine who was a couple of years older, he was already in law school. He came back to visit for the weekend and I was lamenting this to him. And he said, Oh, Amy, he said, you have to stop thinking that you can write in your own voice and still go to law school. Like that is a totally different kind of writing. If you go to law school, you're going to never write in your own voice. You're going to write in your client's voice. And trying to do the two things is like a mistake. And so instead of being horrified, I just was like, oh, okay. And I boxed up all my journals and I stopped, took, stopped taking creative writing classes, just strictly went, you know, pre-law, philosophy of law. And, um, and just said, this is it. I can't, I can't do both. And so one has to go. And what went was my own voice. And oh. that was, that was my story for the next 20 years. I did go to law school and I was a practicing lawyer. I was, I started out in Washington, DC. Um, that's where I went to law school. And then I, I was clerking there for a couple of years. 
And then I moved to New York and I practiced for over 13 years. And um, can you hear my dog? My dog is <laughs> yeah. only because I have an ear for dogs. Yeah, yeah I know. It's like, why are you literally crying because Aww. I made him go upstairs? But um, <laughs> the nerve. I know. I'm hoping he just kind of settles down in a minute. <laughs> He's welcome down. We welcome all dogs. I know. I'm going to have to. I'm gonna Last to- month we had a chicken. Oh, yes, last night, <laughs> not just a chicken, a chicken with a cold. Oh, I, you know, well, we, I wonder how the chicken Abby. is. I know I'm a little uh-huh. concerned about how the chicken's recuperating from yeah. that. Yeah. That would be a good time to mention to everybody. If you, if you are enjoy the tipsy ellipses format, definitely go back to last month, which I believe was probably the loosest of our loose tipsy ellipses. Right. And was anybody actually tipsy? I don't think no. so. Not yeah, when Abby's around. Oh my God. I'm so glad he got to come to the show. He's, he's kind of loud. He's loud though. He's like, like oh my God. Okay. Oh. You're going to love his name. His name is Don Vito. <laughs> he's the Godfather. Okay. Oh. I mean, doesn't he? He really does. He's so cute. Okay. People need to go watch. If you're not watching on the Facebook Live, you need to go see. We have a YouTube channel where you can yes. watch videos of all the podcasts. Is worth it, even if you're you gonna need Don Vito. Yes, just yeah. jump to minute 12 and go ahead and see this. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm sorry. So, what I was saying was before Don Vito really interrupted me was that I that was my story for, for the next 20 years. I, I did what I set out to do, which was become a lawyer. I practiced for over 13 years in New York, and I, I, I started out with I clerked and then I went to work for a like a boutique litigation firm. And then eventually I, I moved into the city, into New York, and I worked for a big law firm, like one of the biggest, you know, just the typical big New York City law firm, probably the biggest yeah. in the country. And so on paper, I had done like exactly what I set out to do, right? But mm-hmm. I was, after a while, I, I would say I loved practicing law until I did, you know? And so then I just yeah. kind of, um, I realized there, there was something going on. I couldn't figure it out. After a while, I did had three kids while I was practicing and it got increasingly that that made my life increasingly complicated each time I had a child. Although I do that. I also say that having the kids kept me in law as long as it did, because every time I got burned out, I took a maternity leave. <laughs> So, uh-huh. <laughs> every, how long of a maternity leave did you get? Three. I, t- I had three kids while I was practicing and I, um, and they were two years apart. So I just kept leaving for like six or seven months. Oh, and, okay. So that's a significant leave. Oh yeah. I, I was, it was no joke. I saved up all, I would save up all my vacation time and that would take like, you know, a pretty substantial unpaid time. Mm-hmm. And, and then I would <laughs> go back to work. And then when I couldn't take it anymore, I get pregnant. <laughs> so when you were on maternity leave, at the end of that, would you feel ready to go back to work? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I remember I had a friend who said to me the first time after my first child was born, and um, it was always a given that I was going to go back. At the time, I'm not married any longer, but at the time I was, and um, he was, I put my ex-husband through medical school and medical training. And so there was really never any doubt that I was going to, as a practical matter, that I was going to go back to work. But as the date got closer for me to go back to work, I um, was looking forward to it. I loved, I loved, like I said, I loved being a lawyer until I did. And I loved, I loved, oh, shit. <laughs> a car just went by. That's a good bark for a little while. And I remember I had a friend who said to me, I said, you know, this is, I'm looking forward to going back, but it's a weird feeling to be leaving. Like the first time I left, it was like a weird feeling to be leaving my baby. Yeah. And I remember I had a friend say, and she was a stay at home mom, and she said, you now get to do something I'm really jealous about. You get to miss your child. And she's like, and that is a really big deal. She's like, because I never, she's like, I never get to miss my kids. And she, you know, she loved being at home. It's be loved. And, um, and I thought, what interesting perspective. Right? I was, you just took the words right out of my mouth. I was just about to say that. What a beautiful perspective. Like Suzanne and I both stayed home for a long time and technically we're still home, I guess. But um, I I remember thinking, wow, like 
I would love to be away from you for a little while. I didn't put it in terms of like, what a novel experience to miss yeah. my kids, but like, you don't miss them. <laughs> You're with them all the time. You never miss them. Right. No. <laughs> Only when I had the newest of newborns, like he was brand new. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, I can remember like night two or something. Yeah. At home telling Mark, like, I miss him while I'm sleeping. Mark was uh, like, what are you oh. even talking about? Because Mark, of course, was like, <sighs> but that was it. Like, after that, yeah. you know. You were I'm taking Mark's side on that one. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't explain it. Like, oh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I'm curious. Did that get easier than with baby two and three? So, no, it didn't. So, well, you know, when I went back the first time, it it was, it it made sense. And, and um. And I had, I never had a live-in, but I had a really wonderful babysitter. So I, and I did carve out and see at the time. So it was, it, it sounds like I'm going to tell you this was happening in like 1940, but it was <laughs> 2003. There was really no formal maternity leave policy at my, at my gigantic oh, mega law firm. Yeah, I believe you. 2005 really my first. Mm-hmm. Loose. And I, I basically ne- negotiated a schedule so that I could be home home two days like well in the office three days home two days but also working like you know weekends and that was part-time and but it was strictly on the down low nobody was to know Uh, (laughs) very hush hush i'd go in for reviews and the partner would say you're doing a great job nobody would know you have kids like i didn't keep pictures of my kids in my office I'd leave a coat on the back of my chair at all times. So it looked like I was there if I had to leave or anything. Like I, if, if I, if a kid had an earache, I would tell them that I got hit by a car before I would say I was home with a sick kid. Like there was no oh my way I would ever say I was home with a sick kid. So that said, I did yeah, that for a little while. And then I said, you know, this is, this is crazy. Right. But, but I, and then I had another baby and I was, I was still kind of like, juggling it okay I was sort of still sort of like I feel like I figured this out and so much so in fact that after I had my second I was like look at me being arrogant I kind of have this down I think I'll have a third and you know <laughs> at the time and I had two boys my first two babies were boys and you know my husband at the time was like uh you know I mean he was in medical training he used to say pretend I don't live here I'm <laughs> not here go back maybe i'll show up every once in a while like eventually that is exactly what i did (laughs) (laughs) that's what i did not married anymore (laughs) but um, then i thought well i i have this i have this down i'm doing this on my own i don't need you know i had i had a a babysitter i did have help but i didn't have any family around but i was kind of like navigating and i was like let's have a third i really want to have a third and he said to me, this really can't be about having a girl because, you know, you just never know. And I was like, no, it's not. I just, I feel like I'm not done. And he, he was like, I really don't know if I want to have another baby. And I'm like, but if we have another baby, you'll never regret that. And if I don't have another baby, I may regret that. So it yeah. feels like this is the way it's got to go. And we were still having that conversation when I got pregnant. <laughs> and so there I was having my third baby and like, yeah, I totally have this. And, um, oh boy, when I had my third and I did have a little girl, um, but I always say like, it, I, I didn't have her name's Grace. So I would say what people would be like, oh, you finally got your girl. I'm like, well, I actually got my Grace. Like that's what it was about. Oh. But I, 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 and I did feel done. Like I did feel done then after Grace was born in a way I did not feel when the, after the boys were, were born. But Three babies will do that to you. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out I am done. More than two children. And, and, and I also, by that point, I was working like four days in the office, three days at home. And it was really, it was a lot. And I was really not juggling it very well. And I started putting out into the universe. I didn't really know a way to not do it though, because my then husband was still in his medical training. He was in this he was in his residency at the time. And we had two, we were living in New York. We had lived in New York. We still had our house in New York. He was doing his actual, actually his fellowship. And then he was doing his fellowship in North Jersey. And we were renting a house in North Jersey. We had kept our house in New York. Like oh, we wow. had, 
we there were financially we were stretched to our limits. Wow. And there was no ability for me to leave at that point. But I kept kind of putting it out in the universe, like, I really don't know what I'm gonna do. How am I gonna do this? And lo and behold, <laughs> Lehman Brothers collapsed. And when Lehman Brothers collapsed, ironically, um, a lot of the law firms in New York City started laying off and Skadden decided not to lay off any lawyers. They instead started this program called Sidebar Plus. And so they offered it out to all of the lawyers and you could apply for it, basically a one-year subsidized, partially subsidized sabbatical. And so I, so here's what happened. I all the litigators, so I was a litigator and the litigators, we were still busy. We still, you know, totally impervious to economic decline, but the M&A lawyers were sitting around kind of worrying about their jobs. So what, what does the M&A stand for? Oh, sorry. Mergers and acquisitions. So okay. Thank working you. Working on the yeah. corporate deals had no corporate deals to work on. Right. Oh, got it. Got it. But anybody who was working on lawsuits, those, you know, are still, they, like, yes, you know, <laughs> those never them. stop. Yeah. Those never stop. And they're very inelastic. Or is that right? Elastic in they're inelastic. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> what happened was all the litigators started applying for the sabbatical and all the corporate attorneys were like, well, now we're not going to lose our job and we still don't have any work to do. This is kind of, we're going to stay right where we are. And all the litigators were like, no, send us on sabbatical. And so at first the head of my department was like, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to apply for a sabbatical. And, um, at first, the head of my department was like, oh, no, you're a litigator. You're way too busy. You can't leave. And I was like, oh, my goodness. But you said anybody could apply. And they were like, oh, not you. So then I said, well, why don't you move some of the, uh, not just me, but a, a, other litigators who wanted to take a sabbatical were like, why don't you move some of the corporate lawyers into our spots and let us leave since they don't seem to want to take a sabbatical. And that's what they ended up doing. So they ended oh, up re yeah. restructuring a little bit. And I have this funny story about how we went to a luncheon right before we left, like a bunch of us who were going on the sabbatical, we went on this luncheon and this will just tell you the kind of the environment I was working in. One of the partners, we were all sort of like, what are, you know, we were leaving to do various things. I said that I was going to leave to write, which was again, going to be the first time it was me reclaiming like my voice in 20 years. Mm -hmm. And other people were doing all kinds of things. Somebody was going to start a bar. Somebody was going to, you know, help, like help a friend open a bar and travel and do different things. Yeah. And we were all like, what are we, you know, are we even going to come back at the end of the year? I guess so. You know, <laughs> and one of the partners stood up and said, oh, you will definitely be back. And here's why. The, you will find when you leave here that some of that, the most interesting, accomplished, wonderful people you're ever going to meet in your life are here in this building. So you are definitely going to come back here. And I remember thinking, is that true? Like, right. It's as good as it gets. <laughs> Gosh. And I remember I went down to my office, went back down to my office, and a colleague, a friend of mine, who I thought really, and still do, think really highly of, he came by and he was like, how was lunch? He wasn't taking the sabbatical, right? And he was like, how was lunch? And I'm like, well, listen to what the partner said. And I told him this like toast, you know, that he had said. And he said to me, my friend, who I thought, you know, was like a relatively rational, reasonable person said, well, that's, that's probably true, don't you think? And I remember thinking, everyone here is drinking this Kool-Aid. Like, I yeah. have to get out of here before I start drinking the Kool-Aid too. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that started my sabbatical. But I call, I call that year was a very pivotal year for me. I call that the year of me because I didn't do anything that year. I was very intentional that year. I knew it was, it felt very finite. It felt, felt very limited. Um, it felt like a grand opportunity that the university yeah. gave me. I did not want to squander one minute of it. So I didn't read books I didn't want to read. I didn't finish meals I didn't like. I didn't do anything that wasn't going to further the goal of figuring out where I was going to be at the end of the year. And so, but, and so I did a lot of different things. I said, yes, a lot. And I yeah. got in on board meetings and I did advocacy work and I did pro bono work and I started doing writing for uh, some different magazines. And I met uh, a woman who was 
an editor of a magazine who was leaving to basically work with with this startup company. And I just started doing freelance writing for her because I kept saying yes to things. Mm-hmm. And I met this woman who was going to work for the startup company and basically taking like a print magazine online. That's what mm-hmm. the startup company was doing. And it was it was called Hybrid Her. And it was telling the stories, helping market and telling stories of women entrepreneurs. And um, and I was just started out just doing freelance writing, but I would I would basically ask like any time there was going to be a board meeting or a meeting with the it was a venture capital funded company, which I didn't even know what that meant at that point, right? Right. And I but I would just ask to sit in on stuff, you know. I would be like, oh, there's a meeting with can I can I sit in on that? Sure, sure, sure. And then you know if there was any grunt work to be done, I would volunteer to do it. And I was just constantly insinuating myself into places. And then finally, you know, by the end of the year, there was a job and, and it was, you know, very little money Yeah, and it was not legal. And that was, what was funny is that they had their own legal team. The, the venture capital fund company already had, you know, their legal team. And then the creative team at the startup company would say to me, every time we ask the lawyers for anything, they tell us, no, can you figure out, can you tell us like what we're doing wrong? And I think, well, yeah, you're asking for this and you have to ask for that. And I started to realize like, oh, I'm, I'm like a translator between the creative yes. team and the legal team, which is something I never understood I could do. Right. And I started understanding, oh, wait a minute, because it's not that I'm leaving the law behind, because I'm a lawyer, there's actually a whole world of things I can do that have not, you know, working for a law firm. That was the first time I understood that. And so, um, so I, it's funny, like at the end of the year, you know, there was a job. And so what I did was I told the law firm, I wasn't going to come back. I asked him if I could, uh, turn my one year sabbatical into a leave of absence. So we just basically extended it. Cause I was too, you know, was, lawyers are very risk averse, right? So I was still kind of like worried about just jumping ship. And so, you know, but I took this job that was like, even less than the subsidized, you know, my sabbatical was already subsidized with a fraction of my salary. And then I took this job that was even less than the the subsidized, you know, mm-hmm. sabbatical just to, just on like, you know, basically a hope and a, and like a, a, a dream that, that it would turn into something more. It did. It was funny, you know, within the next year, um, I negotiated for myself a position on the executive board. I had, there was a VP, a couple of VP positions. And I negotiated a VP position and I actually was, I started writing about it probably, you know, halfway into the sabbatical. I got this idea for a novel that was about, not surprisingly, a woman who was at this crossroads in her life and was sort of reevaluating decisions she had made that took her in, in a certain direction. And I told, but it was, I imagined it in the context of a love story, which was not, which was not how I was experiencing it at that time. Right. It was very much a, a not love story, but I, I started writing that on the side of working for the startup company and, and, you know, working with these women, these women entrepreneurs who were, were pursuing all sorts of creative ventures was unlocking something for me. It was unlocking some kind of creativity for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's gotta be such a cool energy yeah. around. And okay. some of them were lawyers. Yeah. Were we hear that so yes. much. How many of you have reformed lawyers want to talk to? I mean, and I, that was the other thing that started to become really interesting to me. I started to think, because I used to think my law firm was in the same building as uh, the Condé Nast offices. So all the Vogue and um, all the energies are just mingling. Well, it's funny that you say that because I can remember very distinctly standing back and, you know, like walking into the building and watching the seas part. And you could see very clearly the lawyers going in one side and the beautiful people going in the other side. And I would think to myself, like, oh, I don't want to be on that side. It's a very visual, in- interesting split. That is so. And, and in my mind, I thought to myself, it is one or the other. You're either creative and or you're a lawyer. But I have come to understand that the law actually attracts very creative people. Oh, so creative. No outlet for that creativity. The practice of law, the law, the the world of law firm mm-hmm. and big law. Um, actually, the happiest lawyers I know are solo practitioners and lawyers who, you know, have their own 
firms because they can exercise that creativity. Yeah. Um, but when you work for a law firm the way I did, just there's no outlet for that creativity whatsoever. Well, I want to talk so much about your books too, but uh, there's just so many things going ding, ding, ding as you're talking well, about it. <laughs> but no, first of all, the idea of that there was no, you know, back in, you said 2003, and, you know, for me, it was 2005. There was just no policy or structure or anything around this. And we've got an episode coming up. Oh, my gosh. It's not going to be until the middle of March. But with Amy Beacom and Sue Campbell, who wrote a book called The Parental Leave Workbook. And what's the name of the group that the Amy runs? It's called, like, the Center for Parental Leave, I believe. Yeah. And that is their gig. They want to basically have every company have part of the HR team be this doula, basically, uh, that helps you from the very, the second that, you, you know, you got two lines on the stick to be able to kind of work you through emotionally, career-wise, and just be with you that whole way. And, uh, you know, as you do go on maternity leave, whether it's three months, three weeks, you know, nine months, be able to kind of be your touch base through that, deciding where you're at mentally, if you want to come back to that job. And I just think what a gift to be able to do that and not be in the position that the three of us were. But then the other thing I was thinking of, the reason I'm trying to figure out like why your one-year sabbatical was so successfully like a one-year sabbatical and not like a 16-year leave of absence like me and Missy. <laughs> and I keep going back to, uh, we had a great interview with Lisa Stromberg for uh, Work Pause Thrive was her book. And what was her statistic, Missy? I'm going to probably mess it up. It was basically like of the women who took these career pauses, like 70-something percent of them had no regrets. Ah, Right. Yeah. And which I found yeah. like, whoa, that was just such a breakthrough statistic for me. But it was also the the women who had the shorter breaks. So like a year instead of yeah. 16 years. And then also had some type of strategy around it or kept themselves engaged during it, uh, which sounds like so much what you did. So you were all intentionality. Here. I really got hung up on the word intentional. Yeah, it was so intentional. Yeah. You were saying yes to so many yes. things. And I think that, you know, because day one of my break, I had a major identity crisis and like was just all my self-worth and my accomplishments went in the garbage. And I was like, yeah. okay, starting from square one, apparently I'm this new person. Yeah. Whereas I think if you go into it with that intentionality, did you suffer from any identity crisis or you just thought you were still awesome and just taking this break <laughs> and, and trying some stuff out? Yeah, it was totally fine. There were no dark moments whatsoever. No, <laughs> yeah. of course I did. Um, I, I did, but I will say that they were not as intense as I would have thought. And I do think that um, I, because I shifted, I sort of shifted my identity, right? And I, I did still, for a long time, I did still call myself a lawyer or I would say, well, you know, I, I'm a lawyer who now, you know, works for this company. And so even though I wasn't working as a lawyer for them, mm-hmm. right? But, but I would, and sometimes, you know, I'd be in meetings and people would say, well, Amy, you're a lawyer. And, and they'd ask, not ask for my legal opinion, but, you know, there's just, there was a certain like shorthand yeah. um, about making sure that people in the room knew that I was still a lawyer. And so I think that because I did hold on to that identity in, in sort of like a adjacent way, mm-hmm. um, and I, and I did within a couple of years, I was sitting, you know, I was working on my novel and I was starting to sort of like transition out of this idea that I was a lawyer and sort of like, well, what, if, what is this going to look like next? And what is my next chapter going to look like? And I got a call from an agent who was working with the American Bar Association. And she said, you know, I've been trying, she said, I've been reading, I was writing some articles in addition to all the other things I was saying yes to. I would write articles for different legal magazines about taking the sabbatical and about the intentionality of the sabbatical. And she said, I've been reading what you've written. And she said, I've been trying to pitch this book to the ABA for a while about leaving the law, like this book called Lawyer Interrupted, but they haven't really 
been on board for it. She said, but I think that there'd be a real market for this book. And I feel like you'd be the one to write it. And I said, well, I'm sitting here with this novel. Like this is the book that I'm that I thought I was going to be trying to sell. But now you're kind of convincing me about a book that I probably should write. Mm -hmm. And so I, so I said, yeah, again, I just said yes to so many things. And I said, yeah, let's do this book proposal together. So we pitched a book to the ABA called Lawyer Interrupted. And that book was sold before. That was my first book deal. So that, that book actually helped me get my novel deal. But, um, yeah. but when, when I did that, when, when I worked on that pitch of like, these are the things you can do with your law degree that don't involve practicing law, I was able to sort of reframe, okay, this isn't something I threw away. This isn't something, because I, I struggled with that. And, and to be honest with you, people very close in my life, mm -hmm. like my ex-husband, said to me, said things to me, like, this is a waste. Like, you, 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 you're throwing mm -hmm. a career away. And you practiced for 20 years. I practiced for oh, 15 years. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we talked to so many who are like, six months out of law yeah. school they're like nope that was a bad decision I yeah think. i mean i think we've talked to people who even sooner like in law school realize yeah. this is probably not for yeah. me and i'm yeah. not saying that you have to practice law for a certain amount of time to justify right. it i'm just saying right. for you know there's so many stories that you know are a much shorter amount of time that are right. still just as justified in making but, a pivot. Yeah, but here's the interesting thing right even though i practiced for 15 years people still would say to me Two, three years down, you know, after my high, you know, after my sabbatical, don't you miss it? Don't you want to go back? I mean, it's really like it's something that didn't matter how long I had practiced. People still couldn't believe that I would walk away from it. Mm -hmm. And so there were chinks in the armor when that would happen, yeah. you know, and and I would and I but I, and like each time I'd have to kind of like re, re like look inside and say like. Am I okay with this? Am I okay with this decision? Yeah. Was this an okay decision? And every, frankly, every time someone would ask me that question, it just helped me reframe my, oh. just helped me focus on my answer. It just helped me really kind of like reclaim the reasons why I was still not practicing law. Would you? I already did it. And now it's time for a different chapter. Yeah. So. Oh, I am always stunned by, I hear it from, we hear it from a lot of our guests that, out people outside of ourselves have very strong opinions about what we should be doing yeah. and really we are the only ones who can assess what are our values what is it that we want who are we who where yeah. are we going only we know that yeah and only those really close to us who really love us and are willing to understand that or yeah. like that's who gets it. And yeah. it blows my mind when people yeah. kind of out here are just like, what are you doing? And why are you doing it? Well, I am. And what does it matter to you? Yeah. yeah. And the corollary to that, of course, is that if you are trying to do things to please those people or to have a certain answer, a different answer that's not authentic for those people, then you just, you, you, you're going backwards because yeah, it's miserable. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. not going to work. And I, I hadn't, I didn't go to law school or or really embark on my law, my legal career for anybody else other than me. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't leave for anybody other than me either. You know, I tell my kids too, like, I didn't leave the law to be home with you guys. I, I mean, I really, like, I left the law so that I could figure out what my next chapter was so that I'd be a better example to you than someone who was, at, by that point, unhappy. Um, right. So, yeah. So. Ken, I think it's really legitimate that you weren't happy in it in that point. Like sometimes we are not happy and it, it doesn't negate the 15 years before that. And it certainly doesn't mean where you go forward is wrong. Like it's okay to yeah. change. Yeah. And it definitely seems to have gotten you to the place you were, you were happy while you were doing it until you weren't happy. And yeah. so you did though, then start this new chapter. So let's start talking about yeah. the actual books. I started writing, like I said, I was writing this novel for years and years and years. And then, you know, I took the sabbatical in 2009 through 2010. And that's when I started writing the book. And it was probably like 2013 or 2014 when I got the call about Lawyer Interrupted. And I was, you know, years into writing this, this novel by then. And, and also didn't really know what I was going to do with it. I really had no yeah. idea. Like, what is, what do I do? Like, do I 
like take it to Staples and put a binding on it and give it as Christmas gifts. Like I don't like, what do I do at this point? Right. A lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so, and then what happened was I actually started, um, I started going to writing conferences. I started working on the craft because I figured out pretty early on that, oh, just because I'm a lawyer and used to write for a living doesn't mean that translates over to writing a book. Right. So back to the old idea of like reclaiming my own voice, understanding that like writing my own voice was something very different than the legal writing I had done. And then I had to sort of figure that out. I had to figure out how to plot a novel, how to, you know, I just had to figure all that out. So I started going to writing conferences and I started talking with other, I met other writers. And like I said, I was in in the startup world. I was meeting all sorts of creatives. And then, and you know, the head of the startup company, she had been a magazine editor. So she, Mm -hmm. you know, said to me, if you know, if you ever finish that novel of yours, I started saying it out loud. I started I kept it secret for a long time. I started saying it out loud, like I'm working on a book. That's a big step. Yeah, it big was step. a big step. And Speaking I think from experience, once you tell people, then they're like, well, where is it? <laughs> once I started, I remember actually I, some of the first people I told were I told my sisters. And then I told my own book. I was in a book club and I told my own book club. And then it was like, then it was like the time was ticking then. It was like, <laughs> when are you going to finish your book? Right. And so then. I I met this writer who at the time was just kind of breaking out. And now she's very, very successful. Her name's Sarah Pekinen. And we were in touch online. And she said to me, oh, I'm running a workshop in D.C. And it's not about the craft of writing, which I was already going to like a lot of those kinds of conferences. She said, this is about the business of writing. And I was like, oh, that's very interesting because I know nothing about the business of writing. And she said, yeah, you should come. So I went to this one day conference. and. It was so fascinating. It was a huge turning point in my journey because I was in a room with people who were all different levels. You know, some people had numerous manuscripts. Some people had like a notebook of ideas. And I had basically a manuscript that was almost done. And we went around the room at the end and said like what we were going to do as a result of the day. And I said, I'm going to finish this manuscript. And she said, okay. She said, well, if you do that, I will read the the beginning and I'll give you my honest feedback. And so that was like really, that was a really a ticking clock at that point, right? Because, and I thought I have to do this before she forgets she said that. (laughs) Oh yeah. And so I went home and I finished the manuscript and I sent it to her, sent, you know, her the beginning. I said, you know, reminded her that she had said she would look at it and she did. And she said, yeah, you, this is a real book you know, you have a real book here. And she made some introductions for me as a result. And again, saying it out loud, taking a risk. Mm -hmm. And um, she introduced me to her agent who didn't end up becoming my agent, but it was just the first step of learning the the business and learning how to sort of navigate the world of publishing, which is a very different world than the the art of writing. It's like the art and business, right? So yeah, that was that was a huge milestone for me in the journey. Eventually, um, I did get a book deal for both the nonfiction book and the fiction book. And I left the startup company when that happened because then I had to write a book. I, the nonfiction <laughs> book was sold only on the pitch. So I had yeah, to actually right. write a book. Yes. And yeah, so that started my journey of writing and, and writing for a living. But I will say, and I say this all the time with full transparency, I've never replicated my salary from practicing law like it's not I've never replaced that but I've never minded and I've never regretted it's a totally different it's just been a total I did a lot of things and moved we moved out of New York we moved to Pennsylvania to have like a lower cost of living we made mm-hmm. you know I don't have a babysitter I didn't have a babysitter anymore you know there were and I also talk a lot about I tell I tell transitioning lawyers this but also other transitioning professionals too who, who are like, I can't leave because I have, you know, I have to make a certain amount of money and, and, I, and I'm tied to the salary. And I tell people this a lot. When you're doing work you don't love, there's a whole category of expenses that falls away when you leave, which I call self-soothing expenses. Like those like dinners out and clothes and stuff that you just don't need, but you buy to justify the money that you're making in a job you hate. <laughs> yeah. I love that term, self-soothing expenses. Yeah. And it's a whole category of expenses that falls away. And so that was one of the first things that I 
did when I, when I took the sabbatical and when I ended up with the startup company and I told you like my first, that first job offer was like a fraction of the money I had been making. But what I did was instead of when you're, especially when you're a lawyer and you're working on billable hours, you have this whole idea of what you're worth and like you're worth this amount of money. Yeah. So it's so confusing. Oh, it's messed it's with your head. Yeah. Once you know a figure that you get billed for, yeah, it just messes. So then you have this idea like, oh, I can't work for less than I'm worth. But what I, I was able to figure out pretty early on that what I really needed to figure out was how much money I needed to make and not how much money I thought I was worth. And so I came up with a number and I tell lawyers transitioning professionals this all the time. Don't try to come up with your number that you think you're worth. Come up with your number that you need because, and it, no, and you can, and it can have a cushion and it can have whatever, but come up with that number and start there because you may find that m- many more po- possibilities are open to you that are really wonderful. And like I said, I'm very transparent about the fact that I never made big law salary. I still haven't made big law money again, even pu- in publishing. But I've never, like I said, I've never regretted it and I've never minded. Yeah, I think that you have the passion to write. You're not doing yeah. it for the money. It, and yeah. especially once you learn a little bit about the business. Yes. You know, you're not going to do it for the money. I mean, no, <laughs> people do not. That's the thing. Like writing is not, <laughs> I do have a lot of lawyers. I do a lot of legal conferences. And no matter what I'm doing, they always say, (laughs) (laughs) no matter what I do, they say, (laughs) whatever they always say, like, no matter what, what topic is, there's always like, please add on a topic about writing a book. Like there's always a room full of lawyers who want to write a book. Right. And then they'll they'll always say to me like, oh, I want to leave the law. You know, I want to put my job and write a book. I'm like, please put your job to write a book. Like that's number one. Don't do that. It's a very bad idea to ever quit your job to write a book. But unless you're John Grisham, who have yeah, 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 exactly. It's not an easy way to make a living at all. But you can figure out, like the secret formula is, if you can figure out what is the thing you would do, even if it didn't make you any money, and then figure out a way to make money doing it, right? But if you can figure out what's the thing you would do, even if you couldn't make any money doing it, that's the secret to happiness, right? So like, if I, I would write, even if I wasn't getting paid for it. But then you figure out a way to monetize it. And that's that's how that's the magic formula, right? So wow. I I would not practice law for free. <laughs> We've right. got to do that. Yeah. Right. right. But I, it's so it's just uh Yeah, I would never go back to my corporate life for free, but I would podcast probably for the rest of my life. We may be, Suzanne, we may be doing this for free. We haven't. <laughs> we got to find a way to make our millions doing this. We're <laughs> yeah, yeah, just our hosting right. fees. You can't make money doing those things. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, it, absolutely. We've talked about it. Like, we will keep doing this because it fulfills so much and it's so fun to meet people. And yeah, you know, uh, it's just a piece of who we are, but it's so much fun. And you never know, you never know what doors it's going to open. You, yeah. you never know what, what doors these kinds of things will open. And those, absolutely. and that, that was my, my intentional year, right? I learned about opening doors and I learned that, thank goodness, the most interesting, most wonderful people I was ever going to meet were not <laughs> the law firm. I, I was going to ask. I mean, that's the big, that's the big question. Like, were those the most fascinating, no. interesting people? No, no. <laughs> but, you know, and we joke a lot about the lawyers who become writers just because we know so many we of them. We know a lot of them, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking... Um, KJ? Well, there's KJ... We got Amanda. I've you and Amanda yeah. got to meet. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I feel like we need to hook up with some friends there. But it's not just necessarily even lawyers. I'm so excited because we've got an episode coming this week um, with Alicia Fernandez Miranda. And by the time this airs, it was probably yesterday's episode. <laughs> We're doing some time traveling again. Always. Um, who just started a podcast this week called Quit Your Day Job. 
where she's interviewing just all kinds of interesting people with jobs. So just, it's just kind of a little peek. It's like doing a little mini internship just for, you know, in your ears while you listen to the podcast. I love that so much. But she has a book coming out next year called The 40-Year-Old Intern, where she did, she just went and tried for, Ah. I think it was like five or six different jobs that she thought when she was little would be her dream jobs to determine like what they were really like. And so I just love this whole idea. It's kind of the sliding doors mentality yeah. or, you know, or the pivot mentality. I mean, just yeah. however you go about doing it, you know, ex- allow yourself to yeah. get a little creative and think about some alternate lives for yourself. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to quit that job. Like you said, you just say, right. don't quit automatically. People a lot like the, the do it on the side method is like the best way legitimate for a, a, a potential pivot absolutely yeah. oh yeah my husband has written five plus books yeah. more maybe prolific in in just being really intentional and being really strategic and tactical about having i mean he's just so disciplined about setting that time aside to write and it's shocking what you can do one hour at a time over the course of a year and you don't have to blow it all up to be able to do that. It's, you know, to, yeah, yeah. Try it, try it in bits and pieces instead of in entire chunks, you know, if that's okay. something that you want to try out. So oh, we're so like, we're getting close to an hour and I really want to respect your time and the time of anybody who happens to be watching because there is a lot going on in the world and people probably need to run to their TVs or their families or bed. <laughs> Before we go, tell everybody about your new book. In her defense. In her defense. So so it's funny. So now here we are over 10 years um, post-sabbatical. And, and, you know, when I was first publishing and when I would go to book events or book clubs, I was not writing legal fiction, legal drama. And there would always be like a disgruntled lawyer character in one of my books. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. Other than that, there was no real recognition that I had been a a practice lawyer. And people would say to me, why don't you write legal drama? Why don't you write legal thriller? And I would always say like, well, kind of what I practiced was not very sexy, right? It was corporate law. It wasn't really like the John Grisham style (laughs) of law. And it wasn't really the stuff of of legal novels. But the real reason was I was just way too close to it. You know, I was Mm -hmm. just really trying to to separate from that world. And and there was a little bit of defiance, I think, like I will not write about that. And so now here we are 10 plus years post sabbatical. And I decided that I, I got this idea to write a series about a town, a fictional town in which, you know, whereas some towns are known for like their, uh, you know, their bio or pharmaceutical industry or their, you know, beautiful landscape, this town's known for its lawyers. And it's got the River's Edge Law Club, which is like the center of the town. And it's, you know, like a country club, but not really. It's basically a place where all the lawyers come. And it's it's a commuter town to Manhattan. And so it's a place where all the lawyers sort of make their deals and have all their back backdoor, uh, you know, mm-hmm. deal secrets. And I had this idea that I wanted to I wanted to write courtroom drama and I wanted to write legal drama. And so we my agent was very supportive and we pitched pitched it starting as two books right now. So the River's Edge Law Club series is being published by Wyatt McKenzie, who's been my fiction publisher since the beginning. And the first book is coming out this May, and then the second book will come out in the spring. And I mean, in the spring of 2023. Okay. That's so, so yeah. And so the first book of Rivers, this River's Edge Law Club is uh, called In Her Defense. And it's about a woman who has left the law. She used to be a lawyer and she left the law. And she, uh, ironically, I did this before she she's now a podcast host. And when I started writing this book, I was I did not have my own podcast. I <laughs> you manifested it. I manifested it. Yeah. So this, <laughs> kind of, this book is not about me. Right. But this woman is a former lawyer who is now a nationally recognized podcast host. And her podcast is about decluttering. And she's really all about appearances and perfection and a facade. Mm. Right. And she, her husband, she's got, you know, kind of a rocky marriage and her husband ends up dead. And the prime suspect is his mistress. And also turns out to be a former, is a former friend of the, the, the lawyer, the, the, the former Ooh. lawyer. And so she, the prime suspect, who is her former friend, 
calls her. She's her one call from jail. And she says, I need you to represent me. I'm calling in a favor. And so you don't really know what the favor is, right? But she's calling in a favor and she decides to go back to the law for one case only to represent her former friend who is accused of killing her husband. And what? Lawyer's husband. <laughs> And so obviously there's some secrets between the two of them and there's some, uh, yeah. you know, some, some things going on and that's what it's about. It's really about these two women and sort of their relationship and also their individual histories that have led them to this point. And so I'm really excited about it. And so the way the series is going to work is that each book is going to involve a different set of characters, but in each story that, you know, there'll be a character that will basically emerge, you know, to be, to the characters will hand the story off to another character. Right? Oh, so, I like that. Yeah. So in book one, so there is, it's part courtroom drama, it's part psychological suspense. And then the law clerk that handles the trial, the murder, murder trial, she becomes the main um, character in, in the second book. And there's a, a little excerpt of the second book in this one. So yeah, I'm really, I'm very excited about it. And like I said, I do feel like the post-traumatic stress disorder of practicing law has worn off enough to really <laughs> to write yes really fun it was fun to revisit even though I didn't practice criminal law I was, I was a trial lawyer and so it was yeah fun to revisit that and it was fun to to go back to that world in a very safe way yeah yeah oh well, pre-order it now people I'm yeah. going to pre-order it you know if you need any advanced readers yeah <laughs> Yes, I do. I do for sure. So we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I would love to read it. It's right, right in my wheelhouse of what oh I love God, to read. So cool. Oh my gosh. Well, that is so exciting. And then, of course, that you've written other books too. Yeah. Five yeah. other fiction books. So In Her Defense, so the new series is um, In Her Defense, my sixth novel, which is funny because, and then I say like the, the first five novels, right, were not legal thrillers, but I do feel like they... And they were all very different, except my first novel, Lemongrass Hope, and then my most recent novel, I Know How This Ends. They are sort of bookends and they're related. Um, so I Know How This Ends is sort of like, we call it a paraquel, not really a sequel. It kind of runs alongside Lemongrass Hope. And the, re the other books in, in between those two are totally unrelated. But I do feel like those books set end to end are kind of my memoir from the mm. that first 10 years, like they were the books, they were the things that I was struggling with at the time or the question mm. that I was like asking myself at the time. Not that I'm done asking questions or done, but I'm done writing mm. that way. And so, you know, now the legal series is like a totally and a new direction for me. And I also just handed in a book with a co-author. So Lawyer Interrupted came out in 2015. And around that time, there was also this wonderful writer, Liz Brown, who had been a law partner. She was a Harvard law grad who was a law partner who left to be a law professor. And she had written a book called Life After Law. And she and I would kind of be in the same circuit. We'd, we'd end up at conferences together. Mm -hmm. People would be talking to us about, was, we were still kind of like unicorns, like you left the law. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And you're glad you did that. Personally, we kind of like circling each other. So we decided a couple of years ago, our books are kind of dated now. We should, we should, you know, write I kept kind of pitching like a volume two, but then I was like, I think we need to just write a new book. And she was like, do you want to write it together? Oh, so we pitched a book called How to Leave the Law. And we sold that literally on the eve of the pandemic. So we oh, that wow. February, 2020. And then, you know, it kind of became a, a little bit diff a different book. So we just handed that book in. That's coming out in the fall of um, this year, later this year. So... After spending a long time trying to get away from the law, I'm now doing nothing but law. talking to lawyers, <laughs> which has got its own kind of, you know, there's yeah. things associated with it, but yeah. But yeah, that means those 15 years were just really amazing research. You were like embedded. Oh. You were embedded research. Yeah, there's some richness to draw from. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. I have so many stories. That's what I, I, I just was writing the acknowledgments for in her defense. And I do have to thank my, and I did thank my legal mentors and colleagues for the stories. And they never, rec they no, they'll never recognize themselves. Oh, <laughs> oh, and we're, we're already kind of running over time, but I also we're want to hear about your in. podcast. Oh, yeah. A topic oh. near and dear to our heart. Yes, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. You're in season two? 
I am in season two. Thank you so much. And yeah, the funny thing about the podcast is, like I said, I was writing this book during COVID about, you know, a lawyer turned podcast host. I just thought that was such a sexy, interesting thing, right? But it's so sexy. I mean, we've really learned how sexy. Yeah. But so what happened was I released this book. I know how this ends, which was the follow up to my my debut novel, you know, four novels later. And uh, it it released. So sign sign a book contract on the eve of the of the pandemic, and then my book released m- March third, twenty twenty. So like you know, literally on the eve of the pandemic, my whole book tour got canceled, and I spent my my I did like a pre launch event in the Hamptons the last week of February. I can remember that everyone was talking about like, should we cancel our flights? I'm like, cancel your flight? Why would you cancel your flight? It's crazy. <laughs> Everyone's fine cold it's going to be over next eh, it'll be fine so lo and behold my last book event was the last week of february in the hamptons uh oh. funny and then my then then the next week my book comes out and i have no book tour and i have no way of, of promoting my book and such a small problem in the scheme of what was going on in the world well yeah. but we're also in lockdown and you know writing is such a solitary thing and all my writer friends and a lot of writer friends who had books coming out around the same time, everybody was just kind of like, it was just a whole added layer of depression to, to the time. Yep. Yeah. And so a lot of us started trying to promote each other in different ways. Like, hey, I'll, you know, you want to do a Facebook Live or you want to do this? And I started a book club. My book was called I Know How This Ends. I started a book club called I Know How This Book Ends. And I just basically got my stack of reading that I was holed up in my, you know, bedroom reading because I, everything else had been canceled. And I just, you know, basically invited my friends who had new releases out like, Hey, do you want to come on a book club? And so we did this virtual book club and it started to get some press and, and then it was in book trip as like a, you know, a big virtual event from 2020. And so then in 2021, this basically a startup company that is, um, speak.studio, which is you know, creating podcasts, uh, a podcast app and, and got some interesting kind of like podcast software asked me to turn the book club into a podcast. And then I was like, okay, I really did manifest this, this fun thing. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So, so what started as the, I know how this book ends book club in during pan- the pandemic has now become, I know how this book ends podcast. And I interview authors who have new releases coming out. Uh, we usually try to do the interview. I, I get all these, the best perk of the job is that I get all these advanced copies of books. And then yeah. we have quite a time the interview to, you know, the episode to release as close to the pub day as we can. But really what it's about is I interview them as a writer, right? So I know exactly what they're telling everyone else and every other book club and every other group they're doing. They're being asked the same questions. I know the questions, been asked them all, right? But I also know what nobody's asking them. Yeah. So, um, That's what I love about it. Yeah. So like my favorite moment is inevitably when they say, oh, nobody's asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. And you know, which, you know, who is, who are you afraid to read the book? Who is this character really about? You know, with the real like nuggets of story behind the story. Yes. So, we have some, we have fun. We, you know, try to be spontaneous about the discussion. But I always say like, when you're, when you write, you understand that authors aren't writing autobiographical novels, right. but they're very personal, right? So there's right. a lot of like you in your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what we're trying to get to. I love it. Did, did starting a podcast change anything about that you had written about your character? Maybe did it change some of the podcasting uh, info, like, or inform it in any way? Um, it didn't. It didn't. It's a very different podcast that she that she's got. Um, so no, so it didn't change. It didn't change anything. Maybe it's changed a little bit about how I handle the podcast, though. I don't yeah. know. It's <laughs> so interesting. Yeah, no, it's really good. We'll put it in the show notes, and Thank especially you. if you write. Yeah, but even if you don't write, if you just love to read. Like, yes, yeah. super interesting. Yeah. And the, and the other thing is I always say, we always, I always ask every author because it's called, I know how this book ends. We always talk spoiler free about how the book ends. Cause I read all, yeah. of them. 
I don't. That's I don't, a delicate balance you've got there. So we'll just talk in a general way. Like, was this really how you wanted the book to end? And what's what you might be surprised to hear from a lot of these authors is no. The answer is no. Right. Mm-hmm. So they've had to change the ending for an editor. They just changed an ending because the first one didn't work. Or it's just as they started out writing, they had a certain idea of how the book was going to end and then it changed. So I'm always that is always very intriguing to me about how the stories change as you're writing it. Yeah. 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 Like I, I'm writing my first novel. I learned yeah. I've written a really rough draft and I'm reworking it. The story changes and sometimes the story needs to change. And like that aha moment of this yeah. is what's not working. And yeah. I have a funny feeling if it ever sees the light of day, what will see the light of day is not at all what I started with. Right. Right. Just, you just got to enjoy that ride. Yeah. And you, I always tell people you never have, you never have as much time as you do to write your first book. So enjoy it. Even though it feels laborious, also enjoy it because you really do have time to like really like work through all those things. And after that, you never have that much time to write a book again. Because they want the next one. They want yeah. the next one. Exactly. Okay. Well, tell people where to find you. Where's our best place for listeners to stay up with what you're releasing and what's going on in your world? Yeah. So if you uh, go to my website, which is my name, amyampelazeri.com, um, which sounds much worse than it is. We'll have it in the show notes in case yeah, anybody's intimidated. Subscribe to my newsletter. Totally. I, I don't spam. It's very spam free, but you'll, you know, I always will make sure that you have information about the new podcast episodes and, and you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast, anywhere you listen to this podcast. And yeah. And so sign up for my newsletter. I'm very active on Instagram too, which is just my name again. And please keep in touch. I read reader emails. I love them as long as they're nice. No. <laughs> yeah. But um, so yeah, I, I definitely love to keep in touch with readers. So please do subscribe to the newsletter and keep in touch for sure. Okay. Well, we're going to put all that. We'll put it in the comments here and then we'll put it in the show notes too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, this was fun. I could talk writing all day. Oh my God. I'm excited that we're in touch now and looking forward to keeping in touch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This was so much fun. This is much more fun than the State of the Union address that we're about to all go watch. <laughs> we can kind of do it. I'll have to go refill this bad boy. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being here with us and having a little fun first. Yes. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you to both of you. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to end our live broadcast All right, right now. Bye, bye everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for the mom and dot, dot, dot podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you know someone else who could benefit from the episode, please be sure and share it with them. And while we're begging, please subscribe and rate us wherever it is you listen to podcasts. You can find links to all the things we discussed today in our show notes or over at our website, momandpodcast.com with the A and D spelled out. In between shows, find us over at the socials, including our private mom and community Facebook group. The links to that group and all of our socials can be found at momandpodcast.com. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you more than you know. Now go out there and make your ellipses count.